This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We're going we're gonna to continue on again today. Again, I want to welcome everybody. Thank you for being here. Let me, let me throw this on out there. I know we're having all kinds of live stream issues today. And um, y'all can uh, thank Comcast for that. Um, we actually, this week, uh, I spent hours up here, got things together, made it so we would have a real sharp live stream, so we'd it'd come off the main camera, and we'd have close-up shots. I improved our audio over last week, and then Comcast dropped. And I waited here for six hours for them yesterday. And, uh, and finally, they showed up to tell me if there was something wrong, they'd have to send out a crew. It was like, that's nice. That's great. So, um, so anyway, um, y'all can thank them. No, never mind. No, no social media bashing. I'm sorry. It did cross my mind, but no. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I know uh, people, I, I, I saw a couple of posts a, a few minutes ago. They, people put on the live stream, help Pastor Rob. Yeah. I, sorry, I can't help at this point. Uh, hopefully, Andrew will keep restarting it as it fails um, along the way here. Our upload speed is, is zero at the moment. So. so if you are online, which it looks like we do have about six, you're very welcome. Yes. I didn't, I'm not the one that got it back online, Miss Joy. I, I'm not the one. Andrew was. Thank you, Andrew. So, uh, so anyway, if you are watching online, we welcome you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And, uh, and so we want to jump right on in. We started last week talking about alignment, right? And I gave a few minutes because about a week and a half ago, I put a question on Facebook. The question was, what are some real-life scenarios where alignment is crit- critically important? One of the first things people put up was the wheels on your car. That's important, Right? Another thing that people put up, they talked about your neck and back and your alignment of your body. That was, that's very important. We had uh, Dr. Tyler Qualls was here last week and talked to us for a few minutes. And so with that, I wanted to mention a couple more uh, that have been added uh, to, uh, to that post on Facebook. Tim Mokery said, the alignment of coupling between electric motor and input, input shaft of a pump. Um, Shauna's mom, Wendy, was talking about the foundation. The foundation of a structure has to be in the right place on properly leveled ground, right? Or what's going to happen? It's going to crack. And then the structure has to be built aligned with that foundation, right? Uh, Pastor Troy from over at City Church said one that I never thought of. He said, a fitted sheet must be properly aligned on the bed or you'll never get all the corners to fit. (laughs) Is that not the truth? How many of us sit there and we try and force it? You see one corner on the other side that's just a little bit off, and you're forcing this corner and trying to get it to work, and you're just like, you got to go around there and pull on it and then get it down there. Um, and, then, um, and then the last one I was going to mention was, some of you remember our old friend Adrian Evans, and uh, he's, he's military. They, they moved out of state. But, uh, but he mentioned, and, and actually, actually Matt Gregani followed up and talked about, in a military reference, the alignment of a rifle to its target. And let me say, I was gonna, I'm going to go with this example because um, it's something I've had down for a couple of weeks. Um, let me say that I, in light of this past week's events, I almost pulled it off my, off my example list. But this is a different example. We're talking about military and people that are protecting us, people that we stand behind and people that serve us. Isn't that right? We support our military, right? Uh, we need to continue praying for Florida. And it's not just Florida. We need to pray for the state of this nation. Need to pray for people's hearts to be turned back to God. That's all there is to it. So, with that said, how many of you have heard of a man by the name of Chris Kyle? 
I heard of Chris Kyle when I first read his biography. You would know him as the American Sniper. I read the biography when it first came out, and uh, there he is. He, uh, he has passed away now. He's a, he's a U.S. Navy SEAL veteran and, uh, and, and obviously a, a sniper. Um, he passed away. He actually um, was honorably discharged from the, from the U.S. Navy. And um, unfortunately, he was, he was helping um, other veterans who were going through P- P- PTSD and such. And one of them senselessly killed him. And very unfortunate. But, um, but I just want to talk about Chris Kyle. And his book fascinated me. And Chris Kyle served four tours in Iraq as a member of SEAL Team 3 and was awarded several commendations for acts of heroism, meritorious service, and combat. He was awarded one Silver Star Medal and four Bronze Star Medals of Valor. He was a Navy and Marine Corps. He received the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal and numerous other unit and personal awards. It's unknown exactly how many insurgent threats he killed, but the Pentagon has confirmed over 150, which, is, which far exceeds the previous American record of 109. His longest successful shot in 2008 was outside Sadar City when he killed an insurgent sniper who was aimed on other members of the U.S. military with what he called a straight-up luck shot from his McMillan TAC 338 sniper rifle from 1.2 miles away. You know how far that is? Because of his track record as a marksman, during his deployment in Ramadi, the insurgents named Kyle in English, the English translation, they named him the Devil of Ramadi. They put a $20,000 bounty on his head and later increased it to 80000 They posted signs highlighting the tattooed cross on his arm as a means of identifying him. This guy understood some alignment. I, I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about a sniper. A sniper has to have an incredible amount of alignment, but we would think if, if we had to jump in one of their places, okay, can you hit this target, you know, 1.2 miles away? And we would be looking through that scope, and we would try and line up those crosshairs, right? That's not all there is for them. You realize before, as a sniper gets in place, as he lines up, one of the first things he's got to do is, is he's got to figure for wind resistance, and he's got to figure distance. And he's got to figure for gravity, which is what they call bullet drop. You know, over as a bullet, the further it travels, the more it drops. He has to figure for wind speed. There are numerous calculations that have to be made before that shot can be taken. This guy took a single shot and took out an enemy sniper 1.2 miles away. And that's incredible. Y'all agree? Alignment and balance is vitally important in this life. Our alignment in life will very much dictate where we go in this life. And I I subtitled this Position to Prosper. And we talked about this last week that um, I'm not just talking about like financial prosperity. We talked about the definition of of prosper is a state of being successful, successful, to grow strong and healthy, to be strong and flourishing. We all want those things. But it's about alignment. So we went into the definition of alignment. First definition was arrangement in a straight line in correct relative positions. And the second definition was a position of agreement or alliance. And really, the entire point of this series is going to be, if we are properly aligned in this life, then we will be successful, healthy, strong, and flourishing. 
Can you all agree with that? And I, I gave the, the, uh, the example last week of Kuwait during uh, the Gulf War, that Iraq went in and invaded Kuwait. This big country goes in and invades this little country that's smaller than some of our cities in the United States. Kuwait was able to survive because they had aligned themselves with the right people. Within five weeks, the Iraqis were totally driven out of Kuwait. Not because Kuwait had the means in and of themselves, but because of who they had aligned themselves with. Does that make sense? We answered three questions last week. Number one was, why should I be aligned with God? And we just talked briefly about how, you know, our world is lost. It's without hope. It's without peace. It's without joy. People are stressed out, totally just riddled with guilt and and shame and don't know what in the world to do. And we talked about how God put all these innate desires within us, the desire for love and acceptance, companionship, knowledge, truth, wisdom, self-expression, success, significance, influence, fulfillment, contentedness, all these different things. He placed these desires within us. And some people spend their entire life chasing down these desires, but they will never find these desires satisfied until they come to the one who created the desires. He not only created the desires, but he placed them within us for a purpose. What was the purpose? The purpose is so that he could meet them. He's the total and complete fulfillment and satisfaction of all those root innate desires in our life. But we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why more than anything, we need a Savior. More than the next breath that we'll breathe, we need a Savior. That is why we have to be aligned with God. By birth, by birthright, by blood, we're aligned with the enemy. We're not aligned with him. We're born into sin. And if we don't turn to him and become aligned with God, by default, we're aligned with the enemy. And we talked about in what salvation is. It's alignment. It's alliance, it's agreement. But we also talked about how in an alliance, there's also always terms, right? So what are the terms? That was the second question. What are the terms of our alignment with God? We talked about in Romans 10, confess with your mouth Jesus Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. From Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of sins. These are the important things that we have to do. We have to repent, not, not feeling sorry, not even necessarily just apologizing, but turning away from our sin, making our wrongs right, and going the opposite direction. It's one of the terms of our agreement with God. The terms of our agreement with God, surrender, repentance, putting him first, obeying him, and living for him. Putting away our past and our sinful ways, choosing to be like Jesus. And we kind of wrap that point up by talking about how 1 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we're a new creation, right? When we receive Christ, we become a new creation. We have a new nature. Doesn't mean that we're perfect, but that new nature means that our desire for, or for sin should be diminished. And our desire for righteousness and pleasing God should always be increasing. That new nature should be sticking out more and more as we grow and we mature in the Lord. And we should have more and more of a di- desire to quit sinning and to live a righteous life before him. And the last, thing I'm, last question I asked, number three, was what happens if I fall out of alignment? Now, I told you we were going to talk more about this later, but the easy answer is with God, alignment is always an option. He is, he is open every day to do alignments. All we got to do is come into the shop every day. Because repentance is simply a matter of changing our heart and our attitude toward God, embracing his will for us again, falling out of alignment, coming back into alignment can be an instant thing. We, it's a choice that we make. I'm coming back into alignment with God. I'm putting away this other stuff that's gotten between us. So now that we wrapped up by saying alignment is a lifelong process. 
It's something we're always pursuing. Once you give and dedicate your life to the Lord, you're headed in the right direction. But how many of you know we got to fine-tune that alignment, just like you do on your car? We, you may have your tires aligned, but there are plenty of bumps along the road. And there's plenty of things in life that jack us up sometimes, and we realize that we're a little off. And if we want to be healthy and strong and flourishing with God, if we want to see his promises fulfilled in our life, we've got to work on alignment. And so that brings me into this week. You've surrendered your life to Christ. You've come into alignment with him. So what's next? I told you this would be a progression. I wanted to start last week in talking about alignment. The very first step in our alignment with God is receiving Jesus, right? It's about surrender, so what happens next? And, and so I'm, I, I kind of I called this, and you can follow along in your notes um, or online. The YouVersion app should be working. Um, but I called this spiritual infancy or youth. And so we're talking about what many believers call baby Christians. I always wondered what baby Christians think of being called baby Christian. Oh, you're just a baby Christian. It's like, is that good or bad? <laughs> but we're talking about young believers in their faith, Right? And I want you to understand something about this. What was expected of us when we came to Christ is still expected of us as a young, a young believer. And what's expected of us as a young believer is still expected of us as we become a mature believer. And I'm going to point that out as we go, but we have more expected of us as we grow and mature. And really, here's the thing, here's the example, give of this. Our kids. You know, when our kids are infants, we'll do anything for them, Right? We'll do anything. You're going to spend the first couple of years changing diapers, wiping nasty rear ends, and picking up messes, right? If you're doing that at age five, you've got a problem. True? <laughs> I was thinking, when we bring our kid home, how many of you that have had children remember the day you brought your first child home? You've got the little carrier, and you bring them home, and you set them down. Let me tell you what I bet you didn't do. I bet you didn't say, well, set them down on the kitchen counter. You know, they're literally, you know, 30 hours old. And you're like, okay, well, now that you're joining the family, we want to share the house rules with you. <laughs> By the way, you got your mouth open all the time, and there is just, Drew, you need to take care of that. That's not acceptable in this house. Right? And by the way, you're not getting food at the next meal if you don't get rid of that drool. We don't do that, right? We'll do anything because we have to give them room to grow and to mature. We got to give them room to grow up. But there comes a point where we expect them to grow up, right? Even with little to no expectations of our little infants, we still go do nice things for them, and we get the little candy that they love to eat, and we take them places they love as infants and toddlers, right? Even though we have little to no expectations of them. But all those little nice things that we do over the next few years, those become more based on rewards, don't they? And actually, there, comes times when, there come times along the way that we can't do those nice things. Because they haven't met the basic expectations. Isn't that true? As good parents, sometimes our hands are tied. We really wanted to do something for our kids. We really wanted to step in and do this for them. But man, they blew it. And they knew it. And your hands are kind of tied. And you've got to step back. And you've got to let them walk through that mess. And you can't 
do something nice in that moment that maybe you would have done otherwise. Isn't that true? There comes a point usually in our kids' life where they start saying, quit treating me like a baby. I want to be treated like an adult. Right? Yeah. All the parents start laughing. (laughs) Yes, yes. But they're not meeting the basic expectations of life. You're 14 and you won't pick up your shoes out of the doorway each day. Right? Oh. I see parents pointing now. Our son never does that. (laughs) Oh, wow, and you're 14. I just realized, I promise I wouldn't. I I promise that wasn't on purpose. I do, I do not pick on my son on purpose during service. Here's the thing. As parents, we set the standard in our kid's life that leads to their growth and their maturity and a successful life. And our children must come into alignment with that standard. We expect it because We can't let them go into this world at 18, 19, 20 years old as infants. We're going to have problems, right? Do you see the spiritual parallel? As a new believer, you've come into alignment. You're headed the right direction. You've aligned yourself with God. You've surrendered your life to him. You've been adopted into his family. Everything now is about staying in alignment and fine-tuning that alignment. We're spiritual kids in God's house. But it's time that we start growing up. That we come into alignment with his expectations. His expectations of his growing and maturing children. Somebody say, that's me. Somebody else needs to say it, for real. Everybody say, that's me. We've got to come into alignment with God's expectations of his growing and maturing children. So I'm going to give you four things today. And this is about furthering our alignment with God. We're headed the right direction, but now we want to really come into alignment with God. We want to fine-tune that. Then we know the more that we're in alignment with him, the more success we'll find, the more strength we'll find, the more we're going to flourish, the more peace and joy we're going to find. So we got to fine-tune that alignment. So i got four things down today. You can fill in on your notes. What does God expect to us next after being born into his family? Number one, discover who you are. Discover who you are. You've just made Christ a part of your life. You've just surrendered your life to him. It says you're a new creation. So it's not business as usual. You can't keep mirroring your old life. Something has to change. You're a new creation with a new nature. It's time to find out exactly what that new creation is. It's time to get to know our father. It's time to find out what our role is in this new family that we've been adopted into. It can't be business as usual. We've got to find out what the expectations are. And we've got to discover who we now are. Um, you remember we talked about the North Korean defector that defected to South Korea? I was thinking about this. Once he was granted asylum in South Korea... Uh, you know, that was back in November. There was no turning back. If he went back, he was going to die, right? There's no turning back. He's still being treated in a South Korean hospital, I believe. I, I believe he's still being treated today. 
it's time, and I'm sure he's having to realize very quickly that he's having to get familiar with South Korean law. And he's having to get familiar with the South Korean way of life. He cannot live in South Korea. Now that they've granted him asylum, he has aligned himself with them. And he cannot live according to North Korean law. Does this make sense? He has got to adapt to this new culture that he is asked to be a part of. He's got to become integrated into it. Does that make sense? He's going to have to learn some things and make some adjustments if he wants to prosper in South Korea. And even more so for us, even though, even though we've been adopted into a new family, made a new creation, given a new nature, it's important that we learn as much as we can. Look, we've been given a fresh start. We've been given a do-over, right? That doesn't happen much in life. We were given the option of being born again, and that's what we chose. So as spiritual children, we've got to recognize we're dependent on our Father, and that will never change. Part of our surrender is accepting that dependence upon him. Y'all know these, but James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. If we're going to submit ourselves to him, we've got to know him. Right? We've got to know his expectations. John 15, verse 4 and 5, remain in me and I remain in you. Jump down to the last verse. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. We're completely dependent upon our Father. Jeremiah 30, verse 21 says, who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? We're part of a new family and it's going to be vitally important we discover who we are by first drawing close to our Father. We've got to learn these spiritual realities. Who does God say that I am? How in the world can he love me so much? What is required of me? What are my family responsibilities now? What are his promises in my life? We've got to know these things. How do we learn and draw close to him? Well, guys, we know first and foremost, he wrote it all down, past, present, and future. So let's all pull out the book, right? He wrote it all down in his word. His word is his primary voice in our life. He's given us wisdom and direction and advice, and we've got to receive it as such. And, you know, here's the thing. Many believers, many believers don't ever amount to a whole lot in God's family. Why? Because they're like the teenager, they won't come out of their room at home and plays video games all day, every day until they're 20, 30, 40 years old. There's tons of potential, but they choose to do nothing. They're in Father's house, getting by with the bare minimum, but not contributing anything. How many of you know God expects more? We have got to begin to get hungry for him, and we have got to develop that hunger, pursuing him with everything we are. As a young believer, as a mature believer, we've got to know who we are, and we've got to know our place in the family. Second thing I want to mention, next step I think that we've got to do, submit to and learn from those God puts in your life. Submit to and learn from those God's put, God puts in your life. How many of you know that we were never meant to walk this life alone? But I think we have more loners today than ever. It's all a deception of the enemy. God brings people into our lives to sharpen us, to challenge us, to motivate us, 
to convict us, to point us in the right direction. It's very important. And y'all know our children learn from a very young age, they learn about authority. First and foremost, hopefully it's us, right? They learn about the authority of their parents. They learn about the authority of their pastors, their leaders, their teachers, their coaches, the police, whatever it may be, they begin to learn about authority. But I think the problem is we live in this self-sufficient society that says, I don't need anybody. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own way. What's right for me is right for me. Don't judge me, right? And I think the other problem is that our kids learn from us. And they've been taught these things by our example. And where does that leave us? That leaves us in a society that doesn't want to trust at all anybody in leadership or authority. And I think that, you know, I know that there have been abuses in authority. Everybody agree? We've probably all seen that and maybe even experienced that, abuse from people in authority. But can I tell you this? There's always been abuse from authority figures. It's not a new thing. It's just a little more obvious because of social media at this point. It's being brought to everybody's attention. And there's a part of me that thinks that's a good thing. This stuff is exposed. There's another part of me that thinks that sometimes it exasperates the problem. Because it leaves us in this place where we say, you know what? I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm just not trusting anybody. They're all bad. They're all abusive. Here's the biggest problem in that mindset and that thought of that train of thought. I'm convinced that as a believer, as I said, the word of God is God's primary voice in your life. You agree with that? But I believe the people that God places around you are the second most prominent voice of God in your life. Starting with your parents, your pastors, and those others that God put. Of course there's going to be people who are going to abuse their authority. Some of us have even been guilty of that sometimes. But how many of you have heard the voice of God come through somebody close to you? How many of you have heard the voice of God come through your spouse and it shook you? How many of you have heard it, had it come through a friend or from a pastor or whoever it may be? God speaks clearly through those that he places around our path. He confirms the things that he speaks to us by the people he brings across our path. And so we have to be willing to submit to and learn from those that he puts in our life. And, you know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are watching over your souls as those who will give account. And... And just to finish, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Look, that's a scary scripture to me. And here's the funny thing. I think all of us are on both sides of this. Because <laughs> we should all be leading somebody. For instance, obey your leaders and submit to them. You're a leader in your home over your children. God has appointed the leaders and people in your life over you. They've, he's appointed them there to watch over your soul. And not just that, he will hold them responsible. He'll say, what happened to this person that I put under your care? This scripture flips around to the other side where he's going, look, there I'm holding them accountable. 
So obey him and submit to him. I put him there to watch over your soul. I think we're all in both positions. I think that we've got to be very careful. And let me reiterate, this doesn't mean that we submit to an abusive situation. Okay? Everybody agree? Let me throw this out too, though. I believe the word abusive is being used a little too freely now. Somebody disagreeing with you is not abuse. Somebody correcting you, it's not abuse. Somebody disagreeing with you and not seeing it your way is not abuse. Right? How many of you know that sometimes we grow the most through the people who are really, who really came down hard on us in life? That's who we, we hated them at the time. We just, ah, I hate this coach. I hate this teacher. I hate my dad. And in the moment, we were so angry because they came down so hard on us. But have you know, many times we learn the most. I'm not talking about abuse. Okay, everybody got that? I'm talking about those that were hard on us and we felt like never gave us a break. Who rode our rear end and wouldn't, I mean, just kicking us in the tail all the time. We grew in those moments if we didn't get offended and walk away. Proverbs 18.1, a man having separated himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. Man, we got to move. God created us with a need for others. Thus, those people that he placed in our life are assets in our life. And we've got to learn to lean on them and trust them. And I believe this is one of the reasons it's so vitally important that we're connected in the local church. And let me tell you, in the same way that our culture doesn't respect authority, people don't respect the church in the same way today either. I, no condemnation to anybody, but man, it's frustrating to me when I see people come through who have been a part of 10, 11, 12 churches, going from one church to another, to another, to another, getting offended, leaving and going to another one. Every time there's a little disagreement or a little offense or, or whatever else it may be, I believe that we're supposed to seek God for the fam- to find the family that we're supposed to be plugged into. And I believe that many believers should be in the same church their entire life if they're where they're supposed to be. We've got to recognize those that God has put in our life. Um, so we've surrendered to them. We begin working toward discovering who we are in this family. We've learned, we're learning to open up and submit to those that God has placed in our life, recognizing he speaks to us through them. Number three, we got to trust and obey. I almost started singing the song. I had it in my head. Trust and obey. Now, y'all don't know that song. Gosh. Trust and obey. Look, if we are totally dependent on them, if we are choosing to surrender to them, then we have to trust them. In our physical life, and we've, we've been talking about the parent and child relationship, in our physical life, whether we like it or not, we study the life of our parents, right? Starts from the time we're young. We learn to walk because we watch our parents, right? We learn to talk from watching our parents. We learn to take care of ourselves, associate with others. We learn to become self-sufficient, generally, first and foremost, primarily by watching our parents, correct? And even as we become adults, many times, if you had a good relationship with your parents, hopefully even as an adult, you called on them for, adv- for advice. Once you had children, you called on them and you asked them questions and, and they were there to help you and to guide you. But how many of you know that one way or the other, one day your parents aren't going to be with you anymore? 
And one day, they're going to be gone, and you're going to have to lean on what you got from them, those experiences and that knowledge and that wisdom. You'll have to carry it on, and you'll be the parent, the grandparent, the great-grandparent. You'll be the advice giver, right? How many of you know the old saying, the student becomes the master? You ever heard that? That will never happen in God's family. I'm sorry, just flipping it around on you. It will never happen. It will never happen. If we're going to trust and obey, we've got to know this. If we ever think that we're done learning and that we really don't need God anymore, then we've made the same mistake that Lucifer made eons ago. At that point, you're elevating yourself to the same place as God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, y'all know this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Guys, our Father will always know what's best. He will always know what's best. 17 billion years from now, if you need some advice, you're still going to Father. Everybody understand that? He will always know it all. The Bible actually implies that we will be learning about him forever. We will never be able to completely comprehend the fullness of who God is. For this reason, all the more reason, we've got to know him. We've got to know who he is. We've surrendered our life to him. We have to Receive godly counsel, direction, encouragement. we got to get into his word. we got to get it written on the tablets of our hearts because we are totally dependent upon him. we got to trust that, as we said at youth camp, that he is who he says he is, that we are who he says we are, and that he'll do what he says he'll do. We've got to believe it. When we get this concept down, we will be quick to listen, and we'll be quick to obey even when it doesn't make sense. In Psalm chapter 42, verse 11, I think that's in your notes. Um, actually, let me set this up for a second, where David was at. Verse 6, in 42, verse 6, it says that David is downcast. In verse 9, it says he feels like God has forgotten him. He's mourning and oppressed by the enemy. In verse 10, it says that he's in agony. People are taunting him and saying, where is your God? And then we get to verse 11. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, and I shall praise again my salvation and my God. Have you know, he just gave himself the ultimate pep talk. Seriously. It says he was downcast, felt like God had forgotten him. He was mourning, oppressed by the enemy, in agony, and people were taunting him. And he said from the Message Bible, it says, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Talking to himself. He's not talking to God. He's talking to himself. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He is my God. You can only do that if you trust. Why do we have to? We have to trust him, but you understand that if we trust him, we're going to obey him. The obedience is the proof of the trust. You know, one of the greatest things somebody ever came up with was that youth pastor that came up with those what would Jesus do bracelets. I know they became little 50 cent trinkets that were sold in every gas station and, and it kind of came, came, 
the kind of became the cool thing. WWJD. Oh. And but 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 the concept, the idea was great. This this youth pastors were looking at the, all these teenagers in his youth group just destroying their lives by the dumb decisions they're making. And he says, man, what do we need to do in those moments? He's got teenagers who are giving their life to Christ and still living this, this life in sin and, and consumed by it and bondage to it. And, he, and I believe it was a God idea. The Lord dropped it in his heart and said, we ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And he came up with that for his youth group. And, of course, it like, wasn't copywritten and it got stolen and, you know, and it, it, it went all over the world you know, like that. But this is an important step that we learn to trust and obey, and it's important that we learn it early on in life because if we don't and we try and work toward becoming a mature believer, everything's going to fall apart. We have to trust and obey. Last point I want to make, and guys, this is crucial. Number four, next point, don't rush it. Walk out the process. Don't rush it. Walk out the process. And I think this is the hard part sometimes. How many of you would say that you're the kind of person that tries to rush it? You try to rush everything. You try to make things happen that maybe you weren't quite ready for yet. And uh, let me ask this. How many of you would say that sometimes you don't like the process? The process in life that you have to walk through? Of course. Because here's the reality. We don't want to be treated like babies. We want to be regarded as adults. So treat me as an adult. But we haven't walked out the steps to becoming mature. For instance, I know of people who have been in a powerful moment, a powerful service. Somebody invited them to church. They come and they have this powerful conversion. They come to Christ and feel called to ministry in this moment. And one year later, they look back on their life and they realize it doesn't look like they had envisioned it on that day one. And they realize that they, that picture they saw in their head or in their mind of standing in a pulpit and preaching to thousands of people hasn't come to pass. And they get upset and decide that it was a bunch of nonsense. And they walk away, never fulfilling what was maybe a genuine call from God because they didn't walk out the process. Does that make sense? I've known actually quite a few young people graduate from Bible school or seminary and expect to come straight out into full-time ministry, making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, driving a Mercedes-Benz. Right? You know the reality of that is? Most ministers don't take any pay, especially to start with. You know, 80% of pastors in the United States have a full-time job, and it's not the church. Most ministers spend years serving and sacrificing and being faithful and trusting God and following hardship, blood, sweat, and tears, loss of sleep, plowing the ground before God ever promotes them to anything that even begins to resemble where most Bible school and seminary graduates expect themselves to be immediately because it's about plowing the ground and walking out the process. You know, your kid at four years old knows what it means to be rich, right? It means have everything that I want without being rich, right? Doesn't mean you go open up a bank account for them. 
before they even know what money is, right? They've got to walk out life, and they, you don't go give them $5,000 at four or five years old, and they decide they want to be rich and tell them to go invest it wisely, right? Because they haven't walked out the steps to begin to even get there. With God, everything is process. And many times he only reveals one step at a time. Why? Because I think we try so hard to get ahead of him. We're always running. Y'all, some of y'all saw this past week. I was, I've been pulling a bunch of our old VHS tapes off, and I, I found a picture uh, video. Actually, it was Lauren. She was at the uh, zoo with my Aunt Barbara and Uncle David when she was uh, just turned two years old. And she was just, just running ahead of them, just running, running up ahead. And they're going, Lauren, Lauren, and trying to catch up and trying to get to it. Because she was just run- How many know that when we're young and trying to rush it, sometimes we try to run, 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 run ahead from the safety of Father? who's about 20 steps behind us. We don't like process. 1 Timothy 4, 15, Paul's been talking. He's been talking to Timothy, teaching us some stuff. And in verse 15, he says, practice these things. All this stuff I just taught you, practice these things. Devote your life to them so that everyone can see your progress. How many of you know that progress is movement? We're supposed to be moving forward. We don't jump at warp speed to the destination we don't have teleporters yet we got to walk it out proverbs 4 12 if you look at it literally translated it means as you go step by step i will open up the way before you that's the way god works step by step we should always be making progress but we don't want to rush to get to our, I would say, assumed destination too quickly. How many of you know, looking back in hindsight, rarely do things work out exactly the way we envisioned them and we thought they were going to. We've got to get hungry for God. We've got to grow and mature. We've got to make sure we don't try to make things happen. We've got to slow down and allow God to open up the doors in our life. While we're doing the things we know we're supposed to do, We've got to allow him to open the doors in our life and to promote us to where he wants us to be at the right time through the right process. And this will steadily but surely fine-tune our alignment with him. It'll also make us a usable instrument in his hand. So from last week, how do we come into alignment with God? We commit to a life that confesses Jesus is Lord of our life, and we commit to a life of surrender and repentance before him, Right? What do we do as a young believer? We discover who we are as a new creation and our place in this new family. We submit to and learn from those that God has placed in our life. We learn to trust and obey God unconditionally, and we choose to not rush it, but to walk out the process. Can everybody agree with that? Let's all stand up. I'm have the worship team come up, and let's all just bow our heads. with every head bowed. I would ask you today, who are you aligned with? We align with so many different things in life. But have you aligned yourself with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Have you created, have have you aligned yourself with the one who loved you so much that he laid down his life 
for you. Whether you're here or you're watching at home online, I want you to examine yourself for a moment. Because here's the thing. We talked about this last week. But, being a, but praying a prayer doesn't save us. Doing good works doesn't save us. It's living a life devoted to the Lord. It's picking up our heart. What is your heart position today? Remember we talked about repentance last week. You may have prayed a prayer in your life before, but you have, if you have never seen that new creation, if that new nature has never come out of you and you've continued to live your life with zero change, if you don't even feel guilty when you mess it up and you let God down, I would highly encourage you, please, please get your life right with the Lord today. Position your heart in a place of surrender that's dedicated and dependent upon Him. Don't put it off. Or like we talked about last week, maybe you've become unaligned with God. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you did surrender your life to the Lord. And maybe things have happened. Been a lot of bumps along the road. Your alignment has kind of degraded a bit. Your passion and desire and zeal for God has waned. And you find yourself living more for yourself now than you are for Him. Alignment's a lifelong process, and I would encourage you to rededicate your life to the Lord today and say, God, I'm getting it right. I know that you're Father. I trust you that you know what's best. I trust you that you know it all, and I don't. Humble yourself in that position and dedicate your heart to him again today. The idea is to be slowly but surely moving forward. With every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, I have got to get my life right with the Lord today, I want you to lift up your hand so I can see it. Who would say, I've got to get my life right with the Lord? If you got your hand raised, look up at me right quick. Okay, who else? That's three. Who else recognizes I am not living a life that's surrendered to God? I have got to bring things into alignment. Who else? I, I just feel like there's somebody else. I've seen you too. If there's anybody else, lift up your hand high so I can see it. Guys, this is your moment. Come on. Come on. I've got to surrender today. I'm done living my own way. Anybody else? Okay. We're going to pray this prayer together. And here's the deal. You guys that raise your hands, I know you will. Your followers of Jesus. But I just ask you to close your eyes right now and focus on him, meditate on him for a moment. Get your heart in the right position. And you know the drill. We're going to pray this together. It's not about the prayer. It's about your heart position. Make a decision that things are going to change from this day forward and that there's no going back. This is it. I'm going to live a life of repentance. My life is going to shout that Jesus is Lord. 
I'm going to live for him and I'm going to be a usable instrument in his hand so that I can be everything he called me to be. Let's all pray this together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you. He paid the price for my sin. He died my death that I deserved. Today, Jesus, I dedicate my life to you. I will follow you all the days of my life. I will not turn back. I won't turn to the left or the right. My eyes are fixed on you. I will follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to walk this out and to be everything that you've called me to be. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God. We praise your name, Lord. God, I thank you that every day your shop is open for realignment. And I pray, Lord, that every day as preventative maintenance, that we would bring ourselves into your shop and we would line ourselves up with you. We would allow you to come in and nudge things here and there to get us into that proper alignment. Lord, I just pray that your word would be with us this week, that you would bring this back to our remembrance. Hey, that we would even ask, what would Jesus do? Because he's the one that we emulate. He's the one we want to be like. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in us and through us. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.